Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 8. Uh, if you're following along, the Pew Bibles is on page 856. That is Matthew 9, 1 through 8. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic man lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest, again, we do welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Do keep in mind to sign up if you do want to purchase one of the Bibles for $10 to read through the Bible for the year. If you've ordered your Bible more than a week ago, they are in, and uh, the other Bible should be in very soon. And as much as anything, make sure that you're committed to reading through the Word of God this year. Make sure that you're committed to a daily Bible study. We grow closer to God when we know God better. And we can't know God if we do not know His Word. We do look forward to Wednesday evening. Our young men will conduct the service. And as mentioned, all the Bible classes will be in the auditorium on Wednesday night. Also, uh, you may have noticed on your Sunday bulletin, the scripture reading is not the same. The lessons today aren't the same as originally planned. And uh, so we will begin... Not the series, but we'll begin talking about the series this morning that will actually begin in January. Plan on growing spiritually in January. I really mean that. I hope you have an open mind, an open heart. I hope you have a desire to grow. And let's make sure that that we enter into the study of the Beatitudes with a desire to grow closer to God. We'll look at the Lord who is that healer, the one who can make things better. This morning in this lesson and the next week we'll begin our studies in the Beatitudes. Also tonight, there have been several that have told me about conversations you've been in. There have been several questions, more than usual. And so we're going to take uh, tonight as an opportunity to answer a question that there may be several here that are wondering, hey, why does this congregation not celebrate Christmas as a congregation? What, what's up with that? And maybe you've been in conversation lately with someone as we see Christ being pushed out of almost everything in our society and anything that's Eastern is being embraced in our society. And sometimes you may kind of feel like the heathen that the church you attend doesn't celebrate Christmas. And that's definitely something that ought to be addressed. We ought to look at that and see what the Word of God teaches us and what it doesn't teach us and what liberties do we have and what liberties do we not have. And so tonight, 
Definitely. We, we want to simply look at a very important topic. We want to speak the truth in love. And we hope that when everything is said and done today, that God will be glorified in, in all that we've studied. So uh, we look forward to next month. We look forward to this evening. But for now, let's think about spiritual renewal, spiritual growth. You're invited to a study next month about life's healing choices. We all have some kind of heartaches. We have heartbreaks. We have some kind of hang-ups. We have some kind of habits that just aren't good habits. And there has to be a better way to live, doesn't it? Or have you fallen into that line of thinking that it really is not going to get better? Maybe there's a vice in your life and, and you've worked on that vice for months, years, and you may even find yourself now saying, I've been working on this for decades and it's not any better. I've just learned to accept this situation I'm in. And I hope that if you haven't already, by the time we enter into January, you don't accept that. That you believe that you serve a God who offers something much better. He offers healing. He offers strength. He offers binding us up. As a matter of fact, look, if you will, to Psalm 147. Not that this is our text. We've already had the text read for us. But I'd like for us to just notice this about our God before we begin our study back in the Gospels. But look at Psalm 147. It's on page 558 in the Bible that's in your pew. And look in verse 3. This is talking about our God as it says, He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up the wounds. When we think about the broken hearts, maybe you don't have a broken heart at this moment, but sometime in your life you have, and yet in this size audience, there would be many who have broken hearts right now. There's a circumstance that just didn't work out the way you thought it would work out, and, and your heart is broken. There was a dream that you had, a high expectation, and that dream just isn't going to work out the way you thought, and, and, and your heart is shattered. There's a relationship that you just knew it was going to be one way. What a beautiful thought. And then what does he do with wounds? He binds them up. The word to bind up literally means to strengthen. We know it best probably as it's used in athletics. If, if any of you are, are athletes or you have been an athlete or you're a big sports fan, you know that, that it's very common for athletes to wrap their ankles. And maybe you have seen on the football field, maybe a lineman limp off the field and he, he stays off the field for a series of downs and, and the camera pans over to the sidelines and you see them wrapping his foot even tighter with tape. And then the next series of plays, he's back out there again. Why? Because his wound has been strengthened. He is now bound up. And the Lord, it's obvious as long as we're on this earth, we're not on heaven. And as long as we're on this earth, there will be some wounds that the Lord just can't take away. But do you know what the Lord says He can do during those wounds? The ones that He can't heal and make completely better? He says, I can strengthen the other ones. I can give you the strength to endure them. You remember the great 23rd Psalm? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for Thou art with me. 
The Lord says, that's a wound I can't take away. I can't take away death as long as we have this earth. I can bind you up. I can give you the strength that you need to go through losses. I can give you the strength that you need to go through grief. I can give you the strength that you need to go through the pain that you may have to endure on this earth. But friends, again, I beg you to believe in a God who is a God who can heal. Let's not be tied to the past and allow it to paralyze our future. Let's allow a God that is almighty to free us of our wounds and of our heartbreaks so that we can live a powerful life for Him in 2010. Now with that in mind, let's go back to our story, which is a wonderful story to see how Jesus helped a a man that was paralyzed. And, And when we see what He did for him, we also see what God and what Christ and the Spirit can do for us even today. Let's get the setting. You have heard this so capably read, and, and if we wanted to, we could take the time to also turn to the book of Mark and also the book of Luke, and we could see this same story told, all three Gospels. But let's get the setting, and some of it had come out of the text in Matthew, and some sprinkled in from the other two Gospels also. One thing I need to understand is I need to understand by this time Jesus was being recognized as a powerful teacher. It really is almost hard to imagine the fact that here he's gone into this small town of Capernaum and he's gone into someone's house. Now, if in your mind you can see a map and you can see Galilee and then under that region you see Samaria and under that region you see Judea. Here we have the Sea of Galilee and the north part of the Sea of Galilee we have Capernaum. And you know what the other Gospels tells us were happening in that little house? Jesus was beginning to preach and you know who came? It says people from all the towns of Galilee and even from all of Judea and from the city of Jerusalem, Pharisees and rabbis, the word teacher means rabbi, were coming into this house in northern Galilee for no other reason but to hear Jesus. Friends, what is it that would draw rabbis for that long journey around Samaria, all the way up into northern Galilee. You know what it was? They'd heard about this powerful teacher. They'd heard about the miracles that he could work. They wanted to hear for themselves. They wanted to see for themselves, what can this man do? And you better believe they came. As a matter of fact, that house was full so that the doorway was filled up, spilling out beyond the house. People gathered around the windows. And then that brings to the scene the next part of our story. And that is we have four men. Well, really five. Four of them are carrying a man. Not just a man, they're carrying his bedding. Some way there's a gurney made up. They're carrying their friend along. He's paralyzed, but they have a problem. They want to bring him to Jesus, but you already have the setting in your mind. The house is full. They can't pass through the windows. They can't pass through the doorway. But you know there's a place that people are not. They look up on the roof. There's nobody on the roof. Now, can you imagine being paralyzed and hearing your buddies say, we'll take him to the roof? I just wonder if the guy didn't kind of hang on to the bed and say, no, guys, no. No, we'll, we'll just come back later. No, we're taking you to Jesus. They have him on the roof. Can you imagine what the man was thinking? They literally are taking apart his tile ceiling. Guys, guys, whose house is this? They're not going to be happy with us destroying his ceiling. We're getting you to Jesus. 
And can you imagine? You see, if you and I are lying on a bed and, and we flip out of the bed, if you will, most any of us here could just naturally drop our feet down and stand up on the floor. But if you're paralyzed, how are you going to feel about being lowered through a ceiling? What if they don't lower you evenly? What if they spill you? You think there might be a little fear of falling? You think there might be just a little bit of fear of we're interrupting while Jesus is preaching? What are all the people going to think? Now, if that doesn't strike you as a very big fear, let's put it this way. In the middle of this assembly right now, there are four friends that want you to lie down on a gurney and they're going to bring you in the middle of this assembly right now to the very front. Are you going to be, cool, great, let's do it. Are you going to be, "Uh uh-uh. What are they going to think about me? They're going to think I'm the one that has something wrong. They're going to think, hey, this is the one that stands out. This is the one that needs something that the rest of us don't need. No way. You are not dropping me through that ceiling in front of that crowd. There are people from all over Galilee, all over Judea. I'll never live this down. You're not dropping me through that ceiling. You think he might have been a little bit afraid? You think he might have been afraid of Jesus' reaction? Any of you that teach, preach, do you like to be interrupted? Do you like it when there's just all kind of distractions going on around you while you're trying to teach a lesson? I remember when I was in preacher's camp and... Our Chad Etheridge, his grandfather was the director of Preacher's Camp. Teenage boy. And I see some others that were in Preacher's Camp. And we would be up practicing during the middle of the week on our sermon. And Brother Pete, out of nowhere, he'd smack his hands together. And he would begin crying like a baby. And we would stop and look at him. He'd say, don't ever stop preaching. Keep preaching. Keep preaching. And so then we'd keep preaching. And he'd keep smacking the baby. And he'd keep crying. And he would walk around. And it was all to get us to be able to continue preaching through the distractions. You know, I can imagine what that man must have thought. Jesus might have said, he's going to be so angry at me. What are the crowd, what are they going to think? What if I spill out of here and I fall? I want to take your mind back to the scripture again. What's going to be the very first thing that Jesus says to this man that I believe would be the first thing that he would want to do for everybody that was willing to take a step toward him. Look back again at Matthew, the ninth chapter, and look there at verse 2. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Isn't that wonderful? It could also be translated, son, be encouraged. It could also be translated, son, be courageous. 
In other words, son, you, you were worried about coming. There was some kind of fear within you that, that things weren't going to work out right. This man has come to Jesus, and what's Jesus' response? All of us need to come to Jesus, and, and we all have our heartaches, we all have our wounds, we all have our, our bad habits, we have our war stories of things that we wish we could put in the past and never come up again. But yet we take a step toward Jesus. What is He going to do? Is He going to ignore us? Is He going to deny us? Is He going to be angry at us? Is He going to laugh at us? Be encouraged. How can he do that? How can his response be, I just want to encourage you. I want to calm your fears. I believe there may be one huge reason that he can do that is told to us in Hebrews the fourth chapter. In Hebrews the fourth chapter, the topic has become about his incarnation, Jesus, God, coming to this earth in the form of flesh. And it's in this setting that we read, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. For Jesus knows how you feel when you're being tempted. Even though he was tempted like all of us, he himself without sin, he knows the burdens. You can't say, he just doesn't know what it's like to be in my shoes. The scriptures plainly teaches, he knows what it's like to be in your shoes. He doesn't know what it's like to not have support around him. He knows what it's like to not have support around him. He doesn't know what it's like to have enemies that, that don't like him. He knows what it's like to have enemies. He doesn't know what... You fill in the blank of how you feel like you're an isolated case and your fear draws you further away from a spiritual, healthy life. You fill in the blank and Jesus says, I've been there. He doesn't just say, I hear you. He says, I sympathize. In other words, he's saying, I've walked in your shoes. You know as well as I do that it's one thing to have a friend that wants to support you. It's another thing to have a friend that has walked in the same situation you've walked in and wants to support you. And Jesus is saying, be encouraged. I've walked in your shoes. And I want to encourage you. Friends, when we see in our mind's eye Jesus on that cross, we're seeing a friend who says, I want to do everything within my might to reach down and encourage you. He asked a lot of us. But he loves us. And he wants to encourage us every step of the way. But sometimes it's our fear that pulls us back. I'd like for you to see these two passages on the screen side by side because I'd like for you to see how it's the love of God that pulls us out of fear to do things that maybe perhaps we'd never otherwise do. Paul speaking to the young man Timothy, who, by the way, the setting here was Paul is implying that Timothy wasn't living up to the, the abilities that God's given him. And by this time, Timothy had done some wonderful things in ministry. He was a young preacher at the town of Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. But Paul is kind of calling him up, implying, I think you can do a lot more than what you're doing. And he implies it's fear that's stopping him. Notice this as he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. 
Now, and then he lists three things that God does give. Number one, but of power. Number two, and of love. And number three, of a sound mind. Timothy, if you're recalling from all that you could do, because you're afraid. He says, you realize that fear didn't come from God. God gives you the power to step out and heal and have the strength to deal with your wounds. He gives you the power to do great things for His glory. Why? Because He gives you love. God is love. He gives you love. And He gives you a sound mind. Sound means healthy, sober, clear thinking. He gives us that to pull us away from fear. Now we see this thought also as we lay it down beside 1 John, the fourth chapter. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Friends, do you realize that we're tormenting ourselves when we live in fear? In an audience this size, there's probably somebody and probably several that have been saying, I want to step up spiritually. I want to quit just being religious. I want to quit playing the religion game. And I want to give my all to the Lord and not worry about where the chips fall. I want to be 100% committed to Him. But I've been too afraid to do that. You know, the Lord says that fear becomes like a torment. Do you realize that you can be healed of that torment? Do you realize the Lord will give you the power if you just trust Him? And do you realize that when you trust Him and you step out and you come to Him in that way, do you realize He'll encourage you? Son or daughter, be of good cheer. Be courageous. Be encouraged. But I also need, as we go back to that story, what if I were to ask you at this point, what was the first thing that Jesus did for this individual that came wanting Jesus to heal him of his paralysis? Well, if if we didn't really study it carefully, we'd probably just blurt out, well, he healed him. Of what? First, what did he heal him of? Now, as you're mulling that over, let me ask you this. If you were this man, would you be just a little bit offended at Jesus? Jesus, I've come. My friends have brought me. We've heard that you can do amazing healing feats, and I need my legs healed. And so I'm here interrupting this crowd, probably kind of embarrassed that I'm in front of everyone. Jesus, I'd like one thing. I want my legs back under me again. And you know what Jesus says first? Be encouraged. You know what he says second? Let's talk about your sin. Oh, no, no, no. No, not in front of everybody. You're not going to embarrass me like that. More than once in my ministry. And I'm not saying I'd be any different. I'm just giving you this illustration for human nature, all right? More than once in my ministry, I've sat with someone on the front seat during an invitation song, and they have expressed how they're having surgery next week, and they want the prayers of the church. And then, real clear, they look me eye. Now, I'm not confessing sin. You understand that, right? I mean, heaven forbid that someone would think that we're saying we're sinners. No, no, look... 
I'm comfortable with the fact because everybody gets the flu. Everybody gets sick. Everybody has surgery. But hey, in the church, nobody struggles with sin. So let's make this real clear. I only want people to think I want prayers for physical health. My spiritual health is good. Let's not put any doubt in anybody's mind about that. You know what Jesus will do every time? You want to grow spiritually? Jesus will say, all right. Let's confront your faults right now. You're not growing spiritually if you think you have it all together. If you think that the way to grow spiritually is to profess yourself to be sinless, there's no hope for you. As a matter of fact, in James, the fifth chapter, this isn't a recommendation that it's up to your opinion as to whether or not you want to endorse this. This is the living Word of God. And I say living because it means that it can give life for those who obey it. And in James 5 and 16, he clearly says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Jesus didn't confront this, this man so that he could say, Hey, psst, let's minimize the fact that you have sin in your life. Let's pretend that it's not happening. And let's get right down to the physical necessity here of, of you wanting to walk. And we're just going to pretend like anything spiritual doesn't matter. Friends, what did matter the most that day? If you were the paralytic, what would matter the most to you that day? That you could leave there on your own feet or that you could leave there forgiven? If you only had the choice of one, which one would you choose? Which one did Jesus address first? The most important one? Absolutely. And what does He want to do in our life? He says, I want to address it in lives today as well. But it can't be addressed unless we're willing to say to our brothers and to our sisters... Confess your faults one to another. I'm a sinner. What if I said right now, we're going to put on the screen the sins that people on the fourth row have committed. You're already counting the rows, aren't you? Now, hey, I'm fourth from the front, fourth from the back. What? We don't, don't put my sin. I'm, I don't struggle with sin. Don't put mine up there. I'm not going to ask you to do it, but how uncomfortable would it make you right now if you were asked to turn to the people sitting beside you and just say to them, I struggle with sin. I have wounds that hurt. I have a heart that's been broken. And I only have one solution. It's to admit it and humbly come to the only one who can heal it. I decided many, many years ago, not that it's my decision to make. I don't ever want to preach for a church that the only time anybody comes forward is when they've committed adultery. I ask you, which one is worse? Committing adultery? Or walking around with an arrogant pride that says, I'm perfect. 
The sight of God, which one would be worse? Which one has no hope? The adulterer can be forgiven, but the man or the woman in arrogant pride has no hope until that spirit is crushed. And that person is ready to say, I've tried it alone. I've tried it on my own. And all I know at this point is the Lord is confronting me with my faults. And I want to confess it. But finally this morning, as we go back to that story, what did Jesus ask of that man? And you know, if if you've never been bedridden, it may take you just a moment to appreciate this. But think about it for a moment. What did He ask the man to do? Once they handled the spiritual things and his sins were forgiven, and, and, and once the others dealt with that situation of how could he say sins forgiven and we don't have time for that in this lesson, he comes back and he tells the man, pick up your bed and go home. Listen, if I'd been paralyzed all my life, I think my first response would have probably been, can you help me up, Jesus? I've... I've never done this. What's the point? Do you realize that this man had the strength to get up whenever he had the faith to believe in what Jesus said? He laid on that bed and he only stood once he had the faith in the words of the Lord. And when our Savior said to him, take up your bed and walk, He had enough faith to swing his feet onto the floor and start rolling up his bed and walk to his house. And this morning, if it's already been going through your mind, saying, I've tried, and and the Lord just won't do it for me. I've tried to, to turn my life in the past. I've tried to make things different in the past. And it's always the same. It's always the same. And maybe it's the point that you've even said to yourself, it's impossible for me to change. God never commands the impossible unless He gives strength to do it. It seemed impossible for that man to get up and walk. He was paralyzed. But when Jesus commanded him, in turn, he gave him the strength. He challenged the man's faith to see if he would take the step. The strength is not going to come before the step. The Lord strengthens our steps and waits for our response. I don't know a better way to illustrate this, and as we illustrate this, this is the close of the lesson. If you will, look back to Joshua, the third chapter of Joshua. As you're turning there, I want to ask you, can you picture in your mind the last time you've seen a river overflow its banks? You know, the 
Three days of last week, we spent in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I don't know if you were watching the weather reports, but it rained there every day. And by the time we were leaving on Thursday, they had flash floods. And so as we're leaving Little Rock, every branch and stream that we're passing over is out of the banks. Even a pretty good-sized river is out of its banks. There was a car that we went by that water, floodwaters were going passing through the car. It, it was really quite a sight. And so it's easy for me to picture right now floodwaters. But can you picture, can you picture the last time you've seen a river flooding its banks? Now picture the children of Israel being freed from their Egyptian bondage and they've wandered around for 40 years and now that generation is going to be able to cross over the Jordan and they're going to be given their land of Canaan as a conquest. But the problem is they've got to cross over Jordan. And the passage we're about to read refers to the fact that the Jordan River flooded over its banks all harvest. And they've got to cross this river that's flooded. And and, and you say, well, that's no problem. The Lord just separates waters. And so as the waters separate, they have dry land to walk on. Now, here's the question. You may already know this. You may not. If you're not, if you don't know it, this is an important lesson for us to learn. When did the Lord part the waters? Let's see what the Word of God says. Let's look in the 13th verse. Look at Joshua 3, 13th verse. This is what he's saying to Joshua, and Joshua's communicating to the people. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Skip down to 15. And as those who bore the ark, came to the Jordan. And the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, parentheses, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole season of harvest. Look down in 17. Then the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. When did it part? You imagine yourself being one of the priests. You're carrying the ark, and you're walking toward a flooded river. And that river is flooded. And God says, keep walking. It wasn't until the sole of their feet touched the water. Their ankles, their knee, their waist, the soles of their feet, and the water will spread, and you'll step down on the dry ground. Friends, we've got to be willing to step out in faith, wholly give our life to God. And we may not exactly understand how the soles of our feet are going to hit. And we may not exactly understand where it's going to lead except to heaven ultimately. But that's why it's faith. If you and I knew exactly what was going to happen every step of the way, it'd be sight. And the Lord challenges us. He challenges a paralytic. Just try putting your feet on the ground. And if the paralytic would have said, I'm not doing it. I've been this way for years. I doubt he'd walk. And if the priest would have said, we're not stepping into a flood, a flooding river. We've seen people wash away. We've seen livestock wash away. We're not risking our life in that way. The water wouldn't have separated. 
If we don't have faith, it doesn't make sense and it seems impossible. But when we have faith, it makes sense. We love a God who comforts our fears, calms them down, who confronts our failures, who challenges our faith, who asks us to step out. 